This is the Only in Miami show, and thank you very much for tuning in on this special Passover evening. We've got a broadcast for you that includes the Miami Boheme special podcast, which first aired on 305 Live. This is a podcast about the movie Miami Boheme, which aired on PBS last month. You can find out more at www.miamibohem.com. The broadcast features Afro Beta, Elastic Bond, Locos Por Juana, Palo, Spam All Stars, and Suenalo. These are interviews and features that we've done with Miami Boheme cast members throughout the Only in Miami show. And we've got more for you at 8 o'clock, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening tonight, Only in Miami. The Miami Bohem movie was directed by award-winning director Joe Gardona and produced by Steve Reutstein, who also appears in the film as its narrator. The film follows the Miami music scene and six local acts that created a new Miami sound fusing Latin, American, Cuban, and African rhythms and sounds into something completely new, a Miami fusion sound. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you making it through this difficult traffic today. Yeah, well, should I use my announcer's voice or should I use my regular voice? <laughs> anything you want, my friend. It's fun. I like I like that anything you want thing. I think I'll just use my regular voice. Okay, th- this is the only in Miami show. Anything you want is a rule, cool. not a possibility. Dig that. So tell me a little bit about Miami Boheme. Miami Boheme, or as I've gotten to call it, Miami Boheme. Miami um, Boheme is a documentary film which is being premiered Wednesday, March 19th in The Stage, which is our new home. Palo, us is Palo. My band is called Palo. Right. And the film is subheaded. The subtitle is An American Musical Journey. So the full title is Miami Boheme, An American Musical Journey. And it's a film about the local Latin fusion music scene of bands that have formed their own sound here, a very Miami sound. Um, Palo is my band, but uh, there are five other bands featured in the film, including Afro Beta, Elastic Bond, Spam All-Stars, Locos Por Juana, and Suenalo. Suenalo. So it's just an amazing group of talent that we were able to cover. And the film was directed by two incredible guys, Ralph Gonzalez, who is the director of photography and uh, also the editor, and as you mentioned, Joe Cardona, who we're probably going to be talking to in a few minutes. Joe is an Emmy Award-winning documentarian who's done incredible music films and other kinds of films. He's he's a true Miamian. He grew up here, and he has a big stake in this city as far as documenting our history and our unique history. And um, so Joe really um, was the driving force behind this film as far as knowing how to tell the story. So Joe Joe is very much the storyteller for this film. Actually, Joe and Ralph both had their own roles because, of course, film is a visual medium, and the story is told through images. And Ralph is a master of imagery. Ralph is an incredible photographer. And if you love Miami, you will see your city as it really is, not as major media outlets want to portray it to be for whatever reason they want to. Well, Miami has a glitzy reputation, but I feel like a a lot of the media likes to go to South Beach and say it's Miami, and then sometimes they come to Miami and they want to make it look like South Beach is actually a gritty, real, street-wise kind of place. And 
and it's odd. It's odd. People out outside of the city have a very odd, uh, like uh, an odd visual spectrum because they don't really know what's downtown, what's South Beach. They just it's all confabulated. Yeah, it's true. And I I love Miami Beach. I have nothing against Miami Beach at all. I think Miami Beach, South Beach in particular, are gems of our of South Florida. I just feel that as myself as a traveler, when I travel to another city, um, I typically prefer if I have a friend who lives there, I'd rather crash at their place. And, oh, sure, and find out what's really going on. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big guy for the tour bus because I feel like I'm sort of seeing all the safe, easy stuff, and I'm not seeing the real city. And that's I want to see what the locals know. So this film kind of gives you a glimpse into that. Well, I was saying to somebody earlier today, we were at the Coconut Grove Arts Festival. Yeah. And and they said to me, well, some people actually go to this festival just for the food, like just for the festival food, like the fair food. And I said, you know, Calle Ocho is like a food fair every single day mm -hmm. because you have these little mom and pops that are serving up. Like, for example, uh, there's one that I just went to and it's down the street from here, Pinolandia. All right. It's, it's on the corner of... Northwest First Street and West uh, South no, Northwest Twelfth Avenue. Excuse me. It's very close to West Flagler and Twelfth. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's very very close to Marlins Park. It's right off of the eight thirty six. For those of you out there who want to just try it sometime, it's open actually very late. And cool. what they do is they have an enormous enormous parrilla, a, a, a barbecue, and all they cook on that barbecue is steak, carne asada. Nice. And they take like 30 gallon, like, you know, 30 gallon garbage cans and just season the steak overnight or for a couple of days in there. Yeah. And then put it on this steak only grill and they have a huge steam table full of beautiful. all the different vegetables. I mean, it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what we um, are trying to show in the film is, um, you know, the people that live here and that have invested their life here, like yourself and like um, not only the musicians who have been forming their sound, that really they all pretty much say the same thing, that their sound could not have been the same had they not been here in this city. But we also cover the venues, the amazing venues, like um, some of the footage was shot actually live of a couple of the bands playing in the stage um, the v footage of Paolo was shot in PAX. in PAX Miami, the Performing Arts Exchange, which yeah. is not currently open right now. Right, yeah, they're either closed forever or closed for some period of time, and we're, we're going to see what happens with that. We're very sad to have seen PAX go because that was really one of the cornerstones of what is, unfortunately, a somewhat fragile um, situation here. Um, supporting the arts is something that our government doesn't seem to be on its own very interested in doing. So we're left just with the venues and the fans to support what we're trying to do. And thankfully, it's given birth to this incredibly rich scene. So I, I don't mean to underestimate the power of these venues because what they've done is really facilitated what, what seems to be, according to after doing this film and watching what everyone's saying, it seems to be a movement. I, I agree. It is a movement. And I've been involved for a while myself. Um, as as we haven't said yet, I I am in the film, I believe. Yeah, yes, you I are. Hope, you I were... hope I didn't get cut or, you know, no, wind you, up on the... You, no, I'm not no, on the cutting room floor. you didn't end up okay. on any, any floor as far as I know. Okay, good, good. Um, you know, I, I've seen that 
this scene has come and gone and you know every single time it's taken a step back it takes two giant leaps forward that's that's how i've seen it i mean when i was in the you know wasn't when i was in high school there was a scene and it revolved very much around like nil lara yes. remember nil and oh, yes. and uh the the steven talk house right? oh yeah i remember that scene and uh and then you know things went downhill. The South Beach grew up. Uh, Jazz had stuck around, mm -hmm. and Jazz had is still actually one of the venues that some of these groups play at pretty frequently. Yes, and Jazz had was one of the venues that we featured. We um, that's on South Beach on Washington and Thirteenth Street. Yeah, and it's it's a great another great place. It's another place that gives these bands an opportunity to to, to start and to grow. Jazz it, I think, is my favorite hole in the wall uh, for live music. I mean, just hole in the wall. It's tiny. You get right up there next to the stage. If the act is good, you just you dance. You have a good time, and and I mean, you're dancing with the band, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're known internationally for our discotheques and you know our more like electronic music. Ultrafest obviously is an amazing thing, and there's a lot of and, great. And Ultrafest really came here because of the discotheques, because of the nightclubs and the scene that they created that DJs took advantage of, and those DJs actually still play these scenes. So yeah, and it's a great scene if if that's what you're into. And you know, I love electronic music, but I just am a musician who plays an instrument and I write songs and they have singing on them. Great. Well, let's let's take this call. We've got Joe Cardona on the line. Joe? Hey, fellas. How you doing? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Great. Thanks for calling into the show. Appreciate it. How are you tonight? <laughs> Super. So, thanks, thanks for having me, by the way. Oh, love to have you on. So tell me a little bit about what inspired you to create Miami Boheme. Well, Grant, I think it's what inspires all of us who have been following these bands for years now. It's a unique sound that, that uh, has, has, was bred here in Miami. It's a mixture of all our cultures, and I think it's a true Miami art form. Absolutely, I agree. So you're a fan. I am a fan, and really it's born from that. It's born from many years of going out to see, you know, Palo Suenalo, um, Spam, obviously, um, and it's that cool hybrid sound that I think I think brings people together in this community. I think so too. So tell me this: which group got you in? Which which group did you kind of hang out with first, or see you know I, get I think into the first? first group, the first group uh, was Spam, obviously. Yeah. Um, back way into the uh, into the late '90s, um, maybe early 2000s. So and you attended the Fuacata event. I was a Fuacata person. And in fact, in the film, there's footage that I shot in Fakata in 2002. Um, so I was a longtime fan of theirs. And then along the way, obviously, Palo and Suenalo were bands that, that uh, you know, caught my attention. And it's kind of mushroomed. And I think it's a, it's a unique hybrid sound. It's a unique jam band kind of sound with maybe a little Latin twist. Um, I think a big Latin twist, especially the congas. Um, the horns, um, a lot of the rhythms, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of them were actually very influenced by fish, if you yeah. can imagine that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so I just got to say, I just got to say my first group that I listened to of the five that are in this film is, is Suenalo. But when I was listening to them, I was also playing because I happened to be friends with some of those guys from the original group. And right. before there was a Suenalo, there was just a big jam at a friend's house. Uh, right. In Little Havana. 
Monkey Village. The Monkey Village. And and that's where it all kind of started for me anyway. Um, so yeah, did well, you, you know, that, that's in the film too. By yeah. The way. So did you actually go to the Monkey Village? I visited the Monkey Village on once, maybe two, two occasions. Um, and I thought it was a cool scene. I mean, it was uh, kind of very laid back. And, uh, and the rest is a haze. <laughs> the rest is a haze. Uh, you know, Nate Greenberg is still here in Miami, uh, Monkey sure himself. Is. And uh, he's actually very active with the Moksha family. Um, for our listening audience, Moksha is a, a group that does, uh, they do the after party for uh, Big Night Little Haiti. What is it? Every third Friday, I believe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's every third Friday. They're on Northeast 59th Street uh, in between 2nd Avenue and 3rd Avenue. And and that's a fantastic party. If you can make it out there every third Friday, uh, they start at about 10 o'clock at night. And it's there's usually a cover charge of 10 to $20. Uh, but... If you want to see like reggae music that you just don't see anywhere else, it's not even a nightclub or a venue. It's just a private party they do once a month. And that's something that Miami has. It's special. So, uh, Joe, before we go to the clip, because we're going to actually play the extended clip, uh, give us your, your final thoughts before we see the movie. What, what should we be anticipating with Miami Boheme? I tell you, just just go there with uh, open ears, I should say, and an open heart. And uh, to any Miami music fan or any music fan in general, this is going to be a unique experience. I think it's a heartfelt film. I think you're going to see Miami um, from 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 Miamians' perspectives, and I think that stands out in the film. This is a film by Miamians for Miamians. Um, and I think it's a groovy experience and certainly an oral experience, A-U-R-A-L. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for specifying. Yeah, yeah. the other thing that, that I'm proud of, Joe, is that um, because this is going into the PBS national pipeline, that potentially millions of people outside of our city are going to see this film and see what um, even a lot of people in Miami don't know about now the rest of the country is going to be able to discover this sort of, unfortunately, hidden gem is not going to be as hidden anymore, hopefully, and, and we'll be able to be on the radar screen of more people. Uh, well, you I, know, it, it's interesting because today, actually, Grant's name came up, Steve, when we were talking, because it was like, one of the things that I think strikes up conversation amongst people who are from here and live here uh, is, is, is these bands and this music. And it's like we have more common, regardless of where we're from originally, uh, we have more in common with each other, the, those of us that have been bred here, uh, than with folks from wherever we're from originally. And so what's beginning to happen is this identity is Miamians, and I hope it continues. Um, and this is certainly something to help kind of bolster that and let people know that there is such a thing as a Miami sound once again. That's fantastic. So thank you so much for coming hey, on the show, Joe. Me, and, and congrats, congrats on the show, Grant. It's really terrific and oh, much needed. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate it. So we're going to roll the clip. We're going to get, what, three minutes of Miami Boheme uh, trailer. I think that's about how long, maybe 250-something. So Th yeah. About three minutes. So stay tuned, guys. We're going to be back just on the other side of the trailer. This is the Only in Miami show. Everything's different. The way we live, the way we like function. We're like an island here, you know? And we take all the cultures that are in the island and we make a, a soup out of it. Fumando, fumando, fumando. Fumando. 
have this melting pot, but it's not all quite melted yet. <laughs> I think of Miami as the is the northernmost city in the Caribbean. It's how you feel when you're hearing it. You know, it doesn't feel any different for me on up there than it does for the person who's dancing to it in the crowd. I love our music. That's just part of my culture. It, it's delicious. <laughs> so pretty much when you cross I-95 or 395, you find what Miami really is. There's more of a vibe, there's more of a character definition, you know, it's, it's, a, certain, it's a different type of people. Que rico, you know, I feel so good. I want this, you know, this is for me. I, yo me siento Miami. I got a groove, I'm a groove, huh. pulling up in my own direction. It's hard to say. I mean, uh, my whole life would have been different had I chose to live somewhere else. Y hemos hecho que la música en Miami vuelva a vivir. Y esto no lo para nadie. De verdad que esto ya a punto en que estamos no lo para nadie. That's what makes Afro Miami. Uh, the fact that we are Miamians, we live in this community, this is part of our life, this is part of our world. You find now when it's a movement when different people from out of town, they're speaking about Miami. If you want to be a band in Miami and get paid and get work, you know, you gotta make people dance. Whether it's Cuban music, Colombian music, any kind of Latin music that maybe somebody fell in love with or grew up on, mashed together with whatever kind of American music that you love. That's my Miami. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Welcome back. Swenelo is a Miami fusion act that takes jam band sounds and mixes them with Latin American rhythms. Shout out Somebody's to Afro Beta. He's, he's there. He was a big part of Swenelo. He's a big part of the reason why I'm in the band. Yeah. Well, so tell me the story. Well, um, him and I became friends through playing shows and being musicians in the local scene. And, and, and Andres, probably. Uh, Going on tours. Uh, <laughs> back <laughs> yeah, in the day. Back in the day, that's right. Well, and then the joke became that because he's Smurfio, turned his yeah. moniker, I became Gargamel because I'm also a multi-instrumentalist like he is. <laughs> I was taking over his gigs. Anytime he couldn't make a gig, he would call me to do it. So when he'd go on tour <laughs> Basilos, he'd call me to sub in Swanalo. He'd go on tour with Pitbull, he'd call me to you know, sub in Swanalo. He started doing really well with Afrobeta, and I was subbing in a band pretty much I subbed the whole year. You subbed the whole year. <laughs> yeah, the guys, until the guys in the band were like, well, you might as well join the band and, you know, you play, you write songs, let's start doing your songs too. But it's still... Like, since you've been around, we might as well do your songs. Yeah, I mean, I was a sub for like four years before I became a member. Yeah, so I'm like, which is which is great. It gave me a chance to really get familiar and acquainted with the the, the sound, even though it's not a particular genre. There's still a, a, a vibe, a thing that happens with Swanalo. That what's that's what draws people to the band, I think. Drew me as a fan first and then, then as a member. 
Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, it's a, it's a groove-oriented, dance heavy, but uh, musically thought-provoking. You know, it's 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 all those things, all those things and more. Yeah, it's, uh, we call it out for Latin baby making. That's got to go funk for a reason. There's baby making, as we can tell. Yeah, baby's all over the place. <laughs> I got one coming up, man. Like two, three weeks, baby's coming. Yeah. It worked for Phil too, right? It worked for Phil, Juan. There's lots of lots of proud members yeah. of the Baby Makers Club. <laughs> knock, knock on wood. Well, it sounds like the Swindelow family is growing rapidly. Oh, absolutely, is. bro. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about like some of your early days, like before you played out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's start with you. I mean, like uh, Swindelow's my first band. Really? <laughs> yeah. They, I I got into it with big. them playing every weekend, like, and been playing every weekend for like ten years. <laughs> Wow, you started really big. <laughs> it worked out, yeah. Um, I was in a lot of rap groups beforehand, and and we had shows. But I mean, as I'm sure you're familiar well, with the genre, it's a different thing. You know, there there aren't really a lot of, at least back then, there weren't a lot of venues supporting local MCs and local producers and DJs and whatnot. You know, so uh, to get a show, it was always, uh, you know, all right, you're gonna come and perform for free and do your two songs and be out. You know, it wasn't like a like a get crazy scenario. The first band I jammed with was a local band called Aboriginals, which are some of the members actually of Mayday. Um, okay. It was their original group with uh, an MC called Discreet and another MC called Pride Rock. And uh, they were dope. They'd play all the time at the Sandbar and, you know, local spots, Polish Asparagus Club, all that good stuff. <laughs> Polish Asparagus Club. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, uh, yeah, I remember uh, the Polish American Club. That yeah. place is a barn. I mean, a total Big barn. Big time. Like, does anybody gig that place anymore? The last thing I went to there was like an MC battle with like who could roast the most, like back in like '99 or 2000 or something like that. No, shout out no, to the Ground be... Zero crew. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be more recent than that, though. I, I mean, that's my last journey there. I stopped you catching. Sure? Like, you were doing anything in a, in, in South <laughs> Miami when you were? I mean, no, I, no. I mean, I've got pictures from the first Moksha, mm-hmm. which was at Polish American in 2000, uh, 2002. Oof. That was the first moksha? That was the first moksha. Wow. Yeah. Now, Itahui Correa. He is the lead singer of Locos Por Juana. Yes. And you, Itahui, and one of our prior guests, Steve Reutstein of Gopalo, mm-hmm. are all in this fantastic movie called Miami Boheme. Yes, sir. And that's coming out March 19th on PBS. That's next Wednesday night. That's right. Tell me a little bit about your involvement in the Miami Boheme project. You know, um, we've been involved in the early stages of it through Juan Duros, our sax player, and his wife, Denise Galvez, and go-to marketing, that they've been a big part of the whole creation of the of the film, you know, and so it's been just really great to be a part of it. it you know, it's, it's a documentation of what's going on in the city as far as musically and what's been going on, and it's great to document those things because in 10 years, it's going to be a completely different ballgame. It's going to be great to look back on that and see what that is. That's my big. That's my big pride part of it, you know, is, is knowing that the stamp, I guess, is there, you know. Yeah, it's, it's getting documented. Joe Cardona is also involved with that. Yeah, director, and it's just it's just nice to have place that or something that's gonna say this happened. Yeah, yeah. Let's, look, let's reminisce. And I mean, March nineteenth, like you said, it's also the release party, of the the showing party at the stage. It's gonna be a really good time. I think we're all gonna be there in good form. Tony Lorenzo, a.k.a. Smurfio, is one half of the dynamic duo Afro-Beta. Afro-Beta will be featured at this year's Ultra Music Festival. Please enjoy an excerpt from our earlier interview with Tony Lorenzo of Afro-Beta. 
for us that know you is that you know, you've got some hair. Oh, every um, day's Halloween for me. Yeah, uh, for our listening audience, uh, Tony is the Afro part of Afro Beta um, because he has a nice Afro. Uh, you know, but I mean, everybody like thinks about, it's a wig. Yeah, everybody thinks it's even a wig. even though it's all full of gray hair. I don't, I don't understand. They don't make wigs with gray hair. I don't and know, man. Do Maybe they do. You, you could dye your hair. That would oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> no dye, no dye. Oh, not No dice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it, it cracks me up to see yeah. you wearing a wig of all people. Oh, that uh, double wig. Right. Everybody walks up to to Tony and says, "Is that a wig?" You know what's funny? I, at Bonnaroo in 2006, at Bonnaroo, I had, I was wearing a wig, an Afro wig over my wig, and as people were walking, I would take it off. <laughs> and just, that was a funny, funny to see people's expressions. Well, I, I mean, it just makes me think of uh, many, many years ago in the design district. Uh-huh. Do you remember the John Holmes Orchestra? Oh yeah, that's the funny. J- that was the shortest I've had my hair in twenty years. <laughs> that's that's what I remember about really? that. Yeah. Well, it, it was it was yeah. a group with four drummers. That was a mess. Uh, what was it like? Four <laughs> guitar players, a couple of bassists. Yeah, um, typical. Yeah, it was it was a little bit over the top. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. It was fun. It, it was yeah. actually, you know, okay. It was like in a, a huge courtyard. What was that? Uh, that was called the Piccadilly. Right back then, it was Piccadilly. Piccadilly. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with the design district, it, it then became the district. It became Pacific Time. Oh, that's right. Right. It's it's the right district, there. Yes, yeah. on on Northeast Fortieth Street, just east of Miami Avenue, and you guys were in the open courtyard. So actually. Like having four drummers wasn't a bad idea. It wasn't actually, but uh, you had getting paid big... was though. <laughs> oh geez, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah. Splitting your paycheck fourteen ways is not fun. <laughs> well, okay. For our listening audience, uh, Tony's group Afro Beta is signed to Ultra Records, right? It's not Ultra Records. It, what is it's, it now? It's called Do It Entertainment. Do It Entertainment. They run ultra music festival i know it's a big okay. confusion okay. Ultra, and it's funny because now they're they've actually vent uh joined forces with ultra records so now it's this huge ultra thing so so it but is they don't they're the record label is called do it entertainment and all they do is the ultra music festival it's the brothers that one brother founded it and the other brother is is a big part of it still, but the older brother founded Ultra with some other guy. Okay. Now the little brother f- wanted to start the label, but he involved his bigger brother, also. So that's that's how it is. So so you you tour with them as well, correct? Like you toured the other Ultra festivals. We played a couple of Ultras outside of Miami, and it's a g- big growing industry outside yeah. of Miami because you know as you know we've done it here for fifteen years. We're, well, it started here. Yeah, it started it's, here, it's, yeah. It's the world's now largest it's, it's uh, music the, festival. Yeah. And now it's all over the place. They're in South Africa, Australia, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, uh, Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Korea. So we've, we've actually played in Korea and Brazil. I uh, hear there's nice beaches in Croatia. Ibiza, yeah. Oh, you've played oh, Ibiza too? Ibiza too, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the largest crowd you ever played? Hey, uh, the Brazil Ultra in Brazil was it was must have been twenty twenty five thousand people. Well, well, that's with with Afro Beta with uh, Basilos and Pitbull. I mean, eighty eighty thousand easily. Where'd wow. you play with Pitbull? Um, ugh, everywhere. 
You name it. <laughs> I mean, that guy put. We played everywhere. And name a the few. World. Name a few. The the Swango Tango Festival in L.A. was really big. Um, just all the it mostly in, in the United States. It was all 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 the biggest shows in the United States. Because uh, when I left is when he started playing some of like uh, he played. I didn't get to play with him, but Rock and Rio was really big for them. Okay, I miss that. Now, did you record with him as well? I didn't record with him. Okay, you didn't record. No, so it, his whole show. recording thing is a whole different process. Yeah, right. he doesn't make any of his music. He just gets it from other people. It's produced. Yeah, it's produced from other people. It. He performs it live. Yeah, sure. He kind yeah, of. He, he, yeah, <laughs> he performs it. Yeah, on stage. Yeah, on stage. <laughs> Let's call yeah. it that. He, he performs it on it. the stage. <laughs> he does. He's he's. he's he, but uh, yeah, I think I I, I do remember doing uh, some uh, some radio shows with Basilos in in South America where there was eighty thousand people. Wow! Yeah, easily. I mean, are, yeah. are we talking like a you know like a it's, big? It's hill a radio or? festival, yeah. So it's it's not just it wasn't just us. Usually, it's it's it was forty. It's called los cuarenta principales, and so it's the forty biggest artists of that year play on one stage, and yeah, they just have. It's huge. It's huge. Right. So yeah. 80,000 people Easily. screaming. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It could have been more or less. That That's a great... You know what? But after 5,000, you can't tell the difference between 80 and 5, especially if it's at night. You can't tell. Yeah. You can't. You really can't tell if there's 80,000 people or 30,000. Yeah, okay, you so... Lose, you, like, yeah, because the stage show, lights. The, the, the stage lights kind of, of Yeah, the one you, that right? I'm thinking that was 80,000 people, it just... It just kept going. You couldn't tell where it ended and started. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're about to excerpt an interview with Papa G from Maya Town. Thank you very much. Yes, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. It is an honor and a pleasure. Fantastic. So, Papa G, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. You created something called Maya Town, and what does Papa G stand for? Papa G stands for Papa Gordo. Oh, yeah? And um, I was an exchange student in Latin America back in the 80s in two lovely cities nicknamed City of Eternal Spring, and uh, just fell in love with the climate, the sounds, the, the musical genres, pulsating in Colombia. In Mexico, and um, just became part of my spirit and soul. And, I, and as soon as I finished college at SUNY, I moved right to Miami and uh, found so many beautiful genres of music here in the city. It was just amazing. It was marvelous. Soca, song, ska, reggae. It was just everywhere. Salsa, merengue, and um, it was real melting pot, like we all know Miami is. And um, lo and behold, when the, the new millennium came, out comes a guy named Spam, and he really blew the blew the lid off the roof. You know, I mean, he was putting together some really funky stuff, just uh, experimenting with all these genres that I had grown up here in Miami with, and uh, just from there spawned a, a family of uh, beautiful people and music. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. So you you feature these people on Maya Town, right? That's the name of the the CD. It's M A I M I A Town, right? Correct. And and 
right now, I think everybody on the, the album, except for what is it? Uh, most everybody is featured in Miami Bohem. Is that right? Uh, three, three of the bands are, are on Maya Town are featured in Miami Bohem. Which three? Very uh, thankfully, we have uh, Suenalo, Locos por Juana, and of course Spam All Stars. Yeah, and that's going to be airing on Thursday night at 9 p.m. on PBS. That's locally Channel 2. Um, and today is the 24th, so I guess that's on the 28th, right? Wednesday, uh, yeah. Thursday night, March 28th at 9 p.m. on PBS. So those three groups are featured in my, Miami Bohem, and you got involved with Spam back in the Oiko Mayer days, is that correct? Um, I, I would have to say I would go beyond... Just then, uh, I, there was a place called I.O., I think, that I saw him way All back right. when and on the beach many times. I, I, I definitely been going to Oiko Moyer for a long time. Now. What a great vibe. Yeah. I, I've, in fact, I've been going to Calle Ocho, the festival, which just happened a couple of weeks ago. 28 straight years. Oh, my gosh. To give you an idea of my conviction to the city and the and the sounds and the, and the party festival I just uh, I can't do enough for Miami. You know, all these genres coming together, I found it so difficult to describe, as do all the bands. I mean, each band describes themselves in five different adjectives. <laughs> so I was really searching for a way to make their music cross over so that now, everybody in the world could enjoy them the way they're, they're so deserved of. Now, tell me a little bit about the track we're going to listen to in a second. It's by Locos Por Juana. Uh, which is fronted by Itahui Correa. He's a Colombian. And it's called Miami Rockets. Well, it's a funny story, actually. Uh, Itagui is a part of Medellin, Colombia, where I happen to study. And uh, I took a great liking to the band uh, due to that exposure to the culture of Medellin. And, uh, you know, I told him, I was, I was harassing him one day. I go, you guys got to write a song about Miami. Miami's giving you a lot you got to give something back. And that was his response. And, and I'm so humbled and, and really just uh, in awe of, of the greatness of this song and how it represents the city and tells the story of his life coming to, to, to Miami. It, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. And, and so many great people in this town, Alaska Pond, Bachaco, Experimento, Suenalo, Spam, Paolo. Oh, my God. Conjunto Progreso. we got a good thing going on here in Miami. And the people need to stand up and be proud and represent. No, we have a great thing going on in Miami. And great. George, uh, where can our audience find your album on Twitter, on the website, on iTunes? Tell me a little bit. iTunes, yeah. Maya Town. The, the record's called The Big Five. It's a tribute to the Big Five Country Club, the Cuban Country Club out in the Southwest. All right. And uh, I, I, it was such a hurried project for me to get it out for the Latin Alternative Music Conference. I had to leave out a few bands that I would have loved to put in there. Oh, I think but it's it, pretty good where it's at. It really at. represents the, the sound of my account genre that I really believe in. And, uh, you know, features guitar, beats, and brass. And so where can they find your website? What's your website? Oh, myatown.us, and myatown on Twitter. Maya Town equals Miami on Facebook and iTunes, Spotify. You can find us. Search. We're not far. All righty. Well, thank I, you so much, Papa G, for coming on the show tonight. Well. And we're going to lead out for a minute here and listen to Miami Rockets by Locos hey. Por Juana.
God bless. Thank you. show and i'm your host grant stern welcome back this segment covers paulo and his recording of a live album during the miami boheme recording um this cd as i mentioned earlier i believe was recorded um at our 10-year anniversary show at pax and a lot of our fans have been sort of bugging us for a while um we want a new cd and we'd like to hear a recording of you playing live. So this is the result of that. And if you want to listen to it, I think you'll get a decent idea of what we're talking about. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to just go kind of in order and, and listen to maybe like 15 to 30 seconds of each track. So uh, what's the first track? The first track is a song called Dale Palo. And um, it's sort of built on a play on words that really doesn't work very well in, in English. Uh just very quickly, the word palo in Spanish, if you don't speak Spanish, it means stick. Literally, it's a stick. But it's also got other connotations, sexual connotations. I'll let you, I'll let you fill in. And a lot of other connotations. Wait, I, I bought a palo de limpia. Ah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, th- so literally, if you tell somebody, well, uh, she's misbehaving, dale palo, that could mean, well, hit her with a stick. But it could also mean... Something else. Dale Palo, just fill in the blank. Use your imagination. There's a little bit of a, and I know this is a family show, so I'm not going to describe anything, uh, you know, really pornographic. But Oh, so Dale, Dale. That, that's, that is the kind of like the joke behind the song. And th- this song started as an improv. I originally had the beat for another song, and we just improvised it one night, and that's how the song was written. And it stuck. It stuck. Let's hear it. Awesome. 
Wow. Awesome. He, when you said cut out, he really did. Yeah, I, yeah, I think he said, yeah. So, we're, uh, by the way, just for our listening audience, we are skipping the rest of the breaks here. This show's 100% underwritten by Morningside Mortgage, our wonderful sponsor. So there's not going to be a commercial break until the 55-minute mark of the hour. We're going to keep listening to tracks. So what's the next track? Um, the next track, and uh, this one is also built on a somewhat suggestive double meaning. I don't know how these ended up first and second on the album. This one is called La Malanga Resbala. Malanga, for those of you who don't know, is a root vegetable popular among Cubans and other Latin Americans. And when you see it in the grocery store, it just kind of looks like a furry, big, brown uh, carrot carrot or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's in like soups. Yeah. A lot of soup. And, and when, you, Sopa de when you peel it, it looks like some other things. And it's also very slippery. So the, oh, song, is called, slippery. the song is called Malanga Slips. I think something Malanga like that. Malanga Slippery. Okay, so yeah. you, it, the song in the song you say... You have to learn how to handle the malanga. Yeah, that's what it's like a, a, an advice. There's a play on words, perhaps. There you there. go. Righty. Yeah. So that's a new one, right? That's that is a new another song. new song. And that one uh, was just kind of came up in my head. And I um, I had an idea and I kind of wrote the, that chorus. And then um, I knew the kind of verses I wanted to write. And I got together with uh, Leslie and our dear friend, Leslie's cousin, Pepin Rivero, who is an incredible songwriter. And we finished the verses out together. But when you get to hear the whole song, you, you, you can see not only... If you if you haven't heard this kind of music before, you can tell just by listening to the intro that we use funk beats and we use kind of like Cuban sounds on top of it. So right off the bat, you hear the blend there, you hear the fusion. Um, but the songs are coming from a lot of them a very traditional kind of a Cuban standpoint. Most of our music is pure Spanish, and for those people who don't speak Spanish, they still still seem to enjoy it anyway. And what's incredible about this that unfortunately you're you're gonna you're just gonna have to come to a show or get the music online to appreciate it, is that as the songs develop, you hear the virtuosity of Leslie Cartaya, our lead singer, and she takes this stuff to another level later in the song. It builds and builds and builds, and she just um, brings it to uh, I don't know to a soulfulness and a musicality. And her improv is half the song. I mean, we get the song done, and then we get to the other part of the song where she's just improving, and it's it's really something to behold. Her and then the other musicians, Ed Calle on the sax, Raimero Lalde on timbales, and Philbert Armentero on congas. It, it's like a, really four of the best musicians I've ever met in my life, and I've been around a lot of good ones. So it's really an honor to to listen to these people uh, and perform with them and call them uh, fellow band members of Palo. That's great. So what is the next song we're going to hear here? 
the next song is a song called Fumando, and it's a uh, it, Fumando. Fumando means we're smoking. It just means smoking. It just means smoking. Yeah. Fumando. Fumando, and it it kind of says uh, it really doesn't make any statement. It just simply says all the smokers are outside smoking, and it came out of an observation that I made that you know because people realize that it's not nice to force other people to inhale your smoke that we have to do something about it, and that's acceptable. And I just noticed that, wow, I see a lot of people standing outside smoking. Now, that just, it totally makes me think of this wonderful Only in Miami sign at El Exquisito, a, a cafe on Calle Ocho. It's on Calle Ocho and 15th Avenue. I know it well. That Yet we both frequent. Um, and they have a great sign in the back that just has a picture of a guy with a cigar, and it just a cigar, and it just says "Smokers Welcome." Yeah. <laughs> like you know, you, I think of New York, and they're like, "Smokers, get out of here!" Yeah. But in Miami, they're welcome. So let's hear "Fumando." that song i just always like hum it along after it's done that's one of those songs and i um i put some violins in there uh, played by a a young really talented violinist locally here um cuban dude named uh, jorge oviedo and i wrote it thinking of some of like the cuban charanga stuff I, i tipped my hat to larry larry harlow el julio maravilloso the marvelous jew um, who <laughs> the marvelous Jew? Yeah, who um, worked that sound into his sound back in the '60s and '70s at Fani All Stars, and he's actually a Apollo fan. He lives part time in Miami and comes and visits us now and then when when he can. And um, that is just a song that kind of like as you keep listening to it, it just builds and builds like a train and gets this momentum going. And the dancers love it. Actually, in Miami Boheme, there's a segment. Uh, one of our big fans. Uh, uh, Leo um, is a pre-med student and he's just followed us ever since he discovered us and he loves to dance. He's a dance instructor, a great salsa dancer. And there's a little segment about dancing because dance is so important to our culture here. And um, so the song that, that Joe and Ralph chose to sort of feature in that segment is Fumando and you see these kids dancing to the thing and it's spectacular visually to just watch these people with such energy dancing to the music and and you can see as the song builds that you know the the dancers get more and more psyched and then you you know they cut to a scene in packs when we're playing the song and and these people like by the way that night was amazing you were there grant it was like maybe oh, like yeah you know, I mean, 400 500 people packed into the room i've never seen even close to that many people there i think the most i've ever seen was about 200 people for like a really big event 
Yeah. And it was electric. I mean, it was really the, the way the place should have been every single week if anybody could make it happen. Yeah. It, and, you know, that that is one of the things that um, that I don't talk about much. But one of the things that I appreciate about the people who do come out is that they sustain the scene. But I don't want anyone to get complacent with this. I think the people who love culture and love this original art that's being created, whether it's visual art or uh, music or whatever it happens to be, um, make sure not only that you keep supporting it yourself, but that you evangelize a little bit and you spread the word to your friends and people who don't do it. Uh, talk, you know, if you find one of the bands spectacular, uh, spread the word and help, and bring your friends. And I know that's what has sustained us because a lot of people already do that. And if people could just keep doing that, I think we'll be able to sustain the, the scene. Now, what's the next track on our list here? The next track on the list is, I think I sent you a list, but I actually forget. Um, let me look here real quickly. Um, the next track is a song called Mi Protección. And if you only play a couple minutes uh, or like 30 seconds of it, you won't get much of a sense for that. We might want to go, if they can go to track six. Yeah, let's go to track six. And that's a song that a lot of people know from Palo. It's a song called Lengua Larga, and that is a song about a gossiper. And that one, this is a live version of the song, so you, no one's ever heard this before. Wait a minute. You're saying there's gossipers in Miami? Yeah, well, uh, a couple. A couple. Okay, well, yeah. let's hear it. This is Lengua Larga. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and once again, um, a lot of people have heard the studio version of that because our album's been out, you know, for a few years. And this, for people who like some of the songs on there, there's uh, there's four. Like I mentioned earlier, there's four songs that have never been released before, and um, the other six are songs that that they know from the studio version. But these are the ones where we're all on, sweating on the same stage together with the crowd, and that's really. What Paulo is all about is the interaction between the musicians and between the music band and the and the audience, and it's it's really a rare thing. And you guys, you guys definitely encourage your audience to sing along, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we do, and there there are songs that we do that kind of we have built up that way over time, and other things just spontaneously we'll see the people singing along without even any encouragement. Lengua Larga is one of those. It's it's a song where people really like to sing it to each other and you know, laugh at each other and kind of call each other, well, you're the gossiper, and no, I'm not, you are, and that sort of thing. There's one other song that we haven't heard yet, which is the last cut. It's number 10, and that's um, that's one of those uh, songs that's never been released before. That's a song called El Festín de Santiago. It's about a party gone wrong, and uh, it's it's built on the traditional conga beat, from which comes from that part of Cuba, but it's actually the, in this case, Santiago is misleading because it's the guy's name, who had the party, and uh, if you speak Spanish and you you end up hearing this song, you'll hear the whole story of what happened at his party. Okay, so let's hear it. Oh. 
It's got such great energy. I mean, the live sound really comes through. Yeah, that I have to also credit um, our audio guys, uh, Phil Coladetti and Bobby McEwen, uh, two audio engineers who not only were they doing the PA that night, but they were also recording the whole thing, and they also worked on the post-production, which means they helped mix and master the album. So it's got um, a very relatively clean sound. It's really well documented. Extremely clean. I mean, it really sounds like a studio album. But every once in a while you hear the crowd leaking in and you hear things that, you know, the interplay between musicians that is almost impossible to achieve in a typical modern studio setting because usually when a band records a studio album they don't all play at the same time and that's how we did our first album it was like you know i'd lay down the tracks and the percussion would come in and then we do the background vocals and then leslie would sing and then ed would play and it's you don't get the interaction that you do in a live situation no and and not only that but the the rhythm and the energy and the interaction with the crowd and it's just it's very different yeah it's very different i think that it's uh you know not a lot of groups play live you know, they play live albums, but they don't like record live anymore. Like Jimi Hendrix Experience used to do that, mm-hmm. where they would take, you know, all the musicians, put them in a studio, and then record them live. Yeah. So it, it definitely gives you a great taste of what it's really like to be at one of these shows. Well, after after doing this uh, album in this way, I'm I'm tempted to do another one sometime in the future in a similar way, just because... The, it you can't replace that interaction with the audience, and that's why I hope um, those of you who kind of like what you're hearing um, give us a shot or one of the bands. Yeah, yeah. You can find Steve at GoPolo, and Steve, thank you so much and for being on the show. This was fun. Congratulations on a really great show, and and uh, thank you all for tuning in. And please feel free to write and just say that you listened, and uh, hope to see you soon at one of our gigs. You've been listening to an Only in Miami special report on Miami Boheme. Miami Boheme is a documentary movie that first aired on PBS, and you can find out more at www.miamiboheme.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and at the 8 o'clock hour, we'll be back with an interview with Juan Cuba, executive director of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. As well, we'll have Philanthro's story. Detailing Philanthro stories from nonprofits who participated in Philanthro Fest. Philanthro Fest is the country's largest civic engagement festival, and the 2014 installment of Philanthro Fest happened at downtown Miami's Miami Dade College Wolfson campus this past weekend. Thank you again for joining us only in Miami. This is the Only in Miami show, and you're listening to an interview with Juan Cuba, executive director of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party. So tell me this, who are the candidates for governor on the Democratic primary? So right now uh, we have Senator Nan Rich. Okay, Senator Nan Rich, she's a a state senator. She was a state senator. She was a minority leader in the state Senate uh, for a very long time. And where is she from? Uh, She's from Broward. Okay. Then we also have uh, former governor, former Republican governor, Charlie Crist, now turned Democrat. OK, we'll come back to Mr. Crist. <laughs> I think everybody here in the room and listening tonight probably knows who he is. And anybody else? There are a few other minor candidates. Uh, really, Grant, if you if you fill out a few forms, you can also put your name in for governor. So there's a few other minor candidates, but those are the two main 
uh, candidates. Is so. that a suggestion or an <laughs> invitation? <laughs> However you'd like to take it. <laughs> Not sure I have the time for the role right now. Might conflict with the radio show. Well, okay, so let's let's go back to this because I think that that Nan Rich she ran for state uh, for Senate, like for Congress, mm-hmm. right? No, 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 uh, state Senate. States, no, no, but I mean, she ran for higher office recently. What did she run for most recently? Nan Rich, I, I don't. Did she run? No, is this her first so. statewide election? I think so. Okay, and she's from Broward County. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long has she been serving? She was serving in the state Senate. Uh, I think she just she termed out uh, of her service in the state Senate, but she, you know, her. Her big pitch to the the Democratic voters that will vote in the August twenty sixth primary is that she is the uh, you know tried and true blue progressive. And she, okay, you know she's been fighting for progressive values her whole entire life. Uh, the only problem that she has, and it's a big one, is that she hasn't been able to uh, fundraise and she hasn't been able to raise money to communicate her message. And she has a very low name recognition uh, across the state of Florida. No one outside of, you know, the Tri-County area really know who she is. Well, it's interesting, though, because I think she's she's comes from a very influential district. Uh, I just pulled up her, her Wikipedia page. And actually, her predecessor is one of the most well-known Democrats in the country, uh, Miss Debbie Wasserman Schultz, mm. who did move on to the, mm-hmm. uh, to the Congress. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, she's definitely, you know, Broward is a very, very blue county. Sure. Um, I think over 70% uh, registered as Democrat. Mm-hmm. So so definitely, I mean, I think it sounds to me like Nan Rich could be the very, a very progressive, uh, liberal voice in well, the governor's office. Well, that's what she's trying to do. Um, we actually just had her speak at a recent meeting on Monday, um, this past Monday, and and that that was essentially her pitch. But she's gonna have, like I said, an uphill battle because uh, even though she's from probably the, probably the bluest county in the state, not not everyone knows who she is, and she needs to be able to communicate. And and Florida is a very very expensive state uh, to run a statewide election in. Absolutely, yeah. it's it's spread out. There's 20 million people. The media markets are fairly large. Yeah, and and I would just like to point out that the. As far as like the Democratic Party goes, the local and the state, uh, I mean, we're staying neutral. So we're waiting until the primary. Oh, of course, of course. These are, you know, this is an intra-party uh, decision that exactly. needs to be made. People think of politics as a fight. I right. prefer to think of it as a decision. You know, that's, that's a good way to put it. I mean, almost every position has some merit, mm-hmm. um, e- even if it's only meritorious to the the person advocating that <laughs> position. Uh, as evidenced by uh, a certain senator from Texas, who uh, <laughs> who actually is the king of the Senate, I heard he's uh, th- th- something about Canadian bacon. I don't know. There's just a uh, but. But moving onward, uh, speaking of Republicans, who you know, it, it, he was a Republican for many years. Uh, he changed parties because I think his party kicked him out. Essentially, I mean that you know, Governor Chris. Uh, the, the you know what he said is the party has moved the Republican Party has moved so much to the fringe, sure that uh, centrist uh, what well, used to be for, centrist former centrist Republicans now feel left out in the cold. A lot of them registered independent, which is what he did um, in in 2010. Um, right during during he he went from Republican to independent. independent. Um, and, and I thought what was ironic about uh, Rick Scott's election is that people had always considered Bill McCollum a very conservative candidate. Right. I mean, I, he was just like uh, 
arch conservative as a, attorney general. Mm-hmm. You know, he he was from the Bush coterie, uh, yeah. not exactly. Uh, you right. know, I bleeding mean, people, heart there. People, people joke that even Ronald Reagan wouldn't come out of a Republican primary these days. That's joke. The, I think it's absolutely true. <laughs> he was the head of a union, for gosh <laughs> sakes. Go. I mean, you know, that they would it's, complete pillory him. Just be, oh my God, forget it. it and you know, Arnold brutal. Schwarzenegger also was a union actually. leader, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Arnold, that. well, funny. yes, he was of the, the same union. That's in fact, uh, had had Arnold been born in the United States. We might have been talking about President Schwarzenegger at some point, or at least candidate Schwarzenegger <laughs> for president. Um, the the parallels between his experience and Ronald Reagan's are many. Yeah, uh, the the differences are many too. Uh, just for example, and we're going to come back to this. Uh, you know, Arnold's video. Uh, what was it? Uh, you know, the famous video, Pumping Iron, or what oh, was it? I, I, where you know he's sitting there smoking a joint uh, in the gym, saying how <laughs> how great it is for him. It helps him recover from the workout and ease the aches and pains naturally. And there you go. Yeah, what? you know, I mean that. I mean, think about it. Would would, well, now, it, would now, Reagan have gotten elected with that today <laughs> if he had that video of him smoking a joint? <laughs> oh. I mean, obviously, he got elected in California. You know, by sure. a very bipartisan uh, group of uh, electorate. Yeah, I mean, it was you're talking Reagan or Schwarzenegger? Uh, probably yeah. Reagan, but definitely Schwarzenegger. Yeah. When Reagan was in office, I think the Republican Party, uh, it was it was such a different era. I mean, yeah, you're talking was, about the '60s. Yeah. But uh, but so so Charlie Crist uh, has switched parties, and I'll give you my take on it, and I want to hear yours. My take is that uh, Mr. Crist was always very much a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. And sometimes maybe his politics were rightward. I mean, he was chain gang Charlie at one point. He was a prosecutor. But that's something that, that a lot of people do because the, the position of district attorney is a politicized and often elected position. Mm-hmm. And during the era that he you know, was doing those, let's call them lower order activities, the, the more local service, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a major crime problem. So it was very age and time appropriate. And then as as he got into office, he did something extraordinary. The, the, the one thing that I think sets him apart from, forget Democrat and Republican, but from just most gentlemen who hold a high office like governor, senator, house member, he did something that protected the people at the fringes, at the, the lowest level of society, people that were convicted felons. Hmm. Mr. Christ... Right. took the clemency board, the state clemency board, and and gave it some teeth, so to speak, and spent a considerable amount of his personal time, energy, and, uh, you know, uh, political capital on reinstating the rights of convicted felons, allowing them to hold uh, licenses to for occupations in the state of Florida, which is huge. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think. But like, oh, you're a convicted felon, and who knows what that conviction could be for? Yeah. You can't even cut somebody's hair in the state of Florida. It's it's so we have some of the most draconian laws for uh, felons who have already served their time, and not many other states take their uh, right to vote away. Right. Well, uh, it, I'll let, let me clarify that every state takes a felon's right to vote away when they're when incarcerated, they're, right, but not when they're out. But but right, the the restitution of of civil liberties and benefits is like automatic most places. You've served your time. Yep. You've paid your debt to society, as they like exactly. to call it, and you're out. But in Florida, the, there exists a very unique situation where you need an additional level of clemency. Well, that's, again, another way to suppress the vote because, uh, you know, you look at the 
of the the incarceration system that we have in Florida, it disproportionately affects minorities. Who oh, would, in fact, vote Democrat if they could? Well, I, I think that it was impressive as a Democrat, as somebody who did not vote for Mr. Christ right. uh, in his first election, but who came around, um, even though he was of the opposite party at the time, that he would go out and do something inclusive, uh, pragmatic, mm. Um, something that that brings justice to our state that, that he didn't need to do. He could have just, you know, let it all be. I mean, that's what every other, uh, you know, that's all of his predecessors. Just, ah, oh, they're felons. You know, we yeah. these people are problems to society. We don't need to, you know, rehabilitate them, bring them back in. Let's just leave them on the fringes forever. And I think it perpetuates a lot of of negative things in, sure. in society that then become government management issues that then, you know, oh, we have to perpetuate this. So he did something uh, on principle. Yeah. But in the way that he governed. So that to me, that's a reason the uh, to trust him in a way that I wouldn't for maybe another politician who's changed parties I mean, uh, it, recently. And he is. He's very pragmatic. I mean, in 2008, he also increased the number of early vote days to 14. And then, I mean, the, that sort of pragmatism is also what got him in trouble with his Republican uh, party in the primary. Sure. That Marco Rubio uh, used the picture of him hugging the President Obama when he came uh, down to Florida. I think it was he. I think the president came down to Florida uh, after uh, the Gulf oil spill, uh, and the governor embraced him. Uh, you know, you know, he, Charlie, uh, Governor Chris is very pragmatic. Uh, if you meet him, it's obvious that he cares a lot about people. You know, he, there's a lot, there's a, f- a lot of votes that people are going to bring up that he has changed uh, his position on, and it's going to be his job to explain that decision-making process to to Democratic voters and to the voters of Florida. You know, it should be an interesting election, an interesting primary. I think that it would be great to hear a lot more from Nan Rich and from Mr. Christ. This is the Only in Miami show, and you're listening to an interview with Estrella Sibila, director of PhilanthroFest, which happened this Saturday at Miami-Dade Wolfson Campus. Thank you, Grant. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about PhilanthroFest. Tell us about what is a civic engagement festival and why our audience needs to go. PhilanthroFest is all about connecting their people and passion to the community and the different organizations that are already here. I found throughout the last several years working in different nonprofit efforts and just wanting to get involved in different organizations that there's sort of a disconnect between my wanting to get involved and the sort of understanding what the organizations are, who they are, what they're doing, and what opportunities there really are there for me to do something with them. So as we sort of developed this concept for an event, we thought, why not bring together a series of nonprofits, have them have an opportunity to showcase their mission, recruit new donors, recruit new volunteers, and really make it a really special day for the community where we could also have music and dance entertainment, have a kid's zone, do some health screenings, make sure that folks in our community are able to get the resources that they need and sort of connect those dots within the community and have people really have an opportunity to not just get involved, but also receive services if that's what they're in need of. Now, I understand that you train 
nonprofits at Philanthrofest as well. And that's part of what's coming up this Wednesday at 9 a.m. at the uh, Miami-Dade Wolfson campus. It's called your Digital uh, Networking Institute, correct? Yeah, we host with Philanthrofest. This is the second one that we're doing. This is our philanthropy, the Philanthrofest Community Engagement Institute. We had done a previous one last year about connecting on and offline and it was really much enjoyed by the nonprofits, and we found through some data collection that we've been doing with the local nonprofits that they have a substantial need in understanding digital media, learning how to connect better through online platforms, learning how to effectively tell their story so that they can have a better connection to their existing donors and to their volunteer base. So we decided, you know, we could have this opportunity to fill this gap for the nonprofits and really bring together some industry experts to provide education, provide training, and create some partnerships with some wonderful companies that are within those spectrums that can help strengthen and man the tool chest, so to speak, for these nonprofits so they could be more effective. Now, a lot of nonprofits do not know how to use social media. Is that a big part of what you guys do? Yeah. You know, our our data, which um, Jessica Higgins, she's a Lean Six Sigma black belt. She's going to be presenting at the Digital Institute as well. But she did some of the data crunching for us. And basically what, what we found was that about as long as nonprofits had a Facebook page, they thought that they had an, an advanced sense of a web presence. And in reality, without in, now that the algorithms have changed on Facebook, they're really not reaching as large of an audience. Now, just to, to point it out for our audience, um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes in Facebook. Facebook actually filters pretty much everything you see and, and only shows you a small fraction of the posts that any one person or page may make. So a typical page uh, today... It'll be seen by maybe 10% of the page's audience, something like that, 20%. Yeah, that that sounds about right. As organizations went on and and were building their presence and their likes on Facebook, then all of a sudden Facebook changed the game. So, you know, everybody's sort of trying to make adjustments for it. So we're also looking at not just leveraging one platform, but helping organizations understand how they can integrate their efforts so that way they're not constantly having to post on Facebook and then post on Twitter, then put it onto their blog. So we have Wally Benmezian, who's from Web Congress, who's going to be teaching on that, those skills specifically. So that way we don't have all this duplication of effort that might be taking place and really just burdening down these organizations with their strategies. Well, it, it's a, an important point to make that all of these social media networks actually cross post into each other if you arrange it properly. Uh, for example, you can post into Instagram. Uh, which is a, a standalone network that uh, is dominating the under 35 crowd and especially the under 25 crowd these days, you can post into Instagram and from there have your uh, uh, content distributed throughout multiple networks, the Tumblr network, Facebook, who of course owns Instagram today, and you can have it put onto Twitter as well as Flickr, which is Yahoo's photo sharing uh, app. So so you guys actually help people manage this complicated flow of information. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're learning as we go as well. So as we figure out what the stumbling block is and we are able to sort of pull from our list of experts and folks that are really involved in our cause, we're able to then turn that around and create some programming around it and really be able to 
create some opportunities where we have some of the leading experts that are helping us give them an opportunity to connect with these organizations and have them be a part of a bigger, bigger mission. So some of the things we've done is we've worked with um, a company called Podio and they work with a, a sort of, actually, you recommended Podio to me, Grant. Really? Well, yeah. that's because I work with Podio. I love those guys. <laughs> they're owned by Citrix, by the way. They're they're what's called a CRM or a customer relations management software, and it's uh, podio.com. A little free plug for those guys because they're really cool. So what, well, what's Podio really doing cool, for you? But they're aside from them being really cool, we've been able to develop a very efficient system to work internally for Philanthrofest and. The more that I kind of plugged away at creating the apps that help us, I realized there was a great opportunity to bring sort of the Podio concept to other nonprofits so that they could help manage their own events, manage their volunteer lists, and be able to have a better sort of communication flow with these um, folks that they're meeting at either PhilanthroFest or at any of their other events and be able to keep that communication going throughout time. So Podio is now providing um, nonprofits free sort of free workspaces within Podio, which is fantastic. They're also, we're working with them to create some training opportunities as well. We have a partnership with Constant Contact that's also affording some substantial discounts for PhilanthroFest partners and also additional monthly training sessions, both webinars and in-person trainings. So we're just trying to bring and and facilitate a lot of these opportunities to the nonprofit professionals down here in South Florida so that we could build a stronger, more vibrant, more robust, civically engaged audience down here in Miami. Well, that's that's important. I think that it's important to train people to communicate because in the nonprofit space, one of the most important parts is messaging, right? It's it's not just about the things you do, but you need to be able to tell the story of those things that you do so you can attract donations and expand or scale up the things that a nonprofit is doing the the good deeds in the community, uh, whether it's teaching people to read or uh, I've seen uh, there was one nonprofit at last year's uh, that I really liked. It was called Food for Thought, and uh, and it was like uh, you know they would teach you about what kind of foods were healthy and not, and they they their education was very much for children, but that's very important. I mean, children in this country have a tough time getting educated on what's worth eating. They just get a lot of advertising. Now, I think we've got a call in. We're expecting some of your PhilanthroFest friends to call us in, right? And uh, tell us their philanthro stories. That's right. That's right. That's part of a new campaign that we've been working on. Just just sort of encourage folks to share what it is that they're doing in the community and share what sort of passions that, it, passions that they have and different ways that they've found to sort of work in that space, share their passion, be able to connect with other people that have the same sort of values and ideas that they do and sort of create a community around the things that we believe in and the things that we care about. So uh, is there a hashtag for this that we need to know about? The hashtag, our official hashtag for PhilanthroFest is just hashtag PhilanthroFest. Our campaign for PhilanthroStory does have that um, individual hashtag. It's hashtag PhilanthroStory, P-H-I-L-A-N-T-H-R-O, S-T-O-R-Y. 
Alrighty. It's a long one. <laughs> you know what, though? Philanthro is a fairly easy word to spell. There's not a lot of other words with that root. So <laughs> so now that we've said it, we I think we can skip it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've created a whole other language that starts with philanthro, pretty much philanthro everything from philanthro party, philanthro fest, philanthro peeps. So we've gotten a little excited about that. And there's so much enthusiasm around philanthro fest itself that... You know, we just keep creating other opportunities and other channels that just expand on this idea of civic engagement and really giving folks an opportunity to show a little bit more of of who they are beyond just, you know, a job title or a residential area that they live in and really give people sort of a time to shine light on some some more aspects of their personalities and personal desires. Now, we're going to open up the lines here. So if any of our listeners have questions about PhilanthroFest, you're more than welcome to call in. We're expecting a couple of Philanthro story calls in a few minutes. The phone number is 305-541-2350. You can call into the Only in Miami show and ask your questions about PhilanthroFest, the country's largest civic engagement festival. Again, the number is 305-541-2350. We'd like to hear your calls, your questions, and your comments. Again, please call 305-541-2350. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're here with Estrella Sibila from PhilanthroFest. You can find them online at philanthrofest.com. So... What's your philanthro story? What inspired you to be one of the co-founders of PhilanthroFest? And you can tell us the story of starting PhilanthroFest, not just your story, but why did you get involved and, and who did you do it with? So PhilanthroFest started sort of over cocktails and bites with a couple friends, and we were all involved in different community projects and really wanted to just sit down and, and kick around some ideas of what we were all doing. Liquor or beer? Neither. They were non-alcoholic beverages. Oh, okay. <laughs> just I always ask when somebody says. So um, we, we were just sort of kicking around some ideas, and um, it was James Eccles, myself, Annette Picard, um, Lana Chanfoni, Carolyn Lamar, and we had gotten together, and James had approached us about doing this sort of community festival for nonprofits that was modeled after Fall for the Arts. And Fall for the Arts was something that the Arts Center would put together, and it was based on just simply art nonprofits and showcasing what they had planned for their upcoming seasons and really gave the community an opportunity to learn more about the cultural arts organizations. And when James talked to us about it, he said, you know, why don't we do this, but let's do it for all types of organizations. So we that was, you know, like a late December, and by... Mid-April of that year, we were at the Midtown Green Space, and we had about 190, not, I mean, about 100 organizations that were there, and we had about 2,000 people from the community come out, and we had a wonderful festival. We had three different bands. We had an art show. We had just tons of things that really brought out such an exciting moment for the community, and, you know, it, we didn't, we never expected it to be such a a welcomed and desired piece to the Miami puzzle. But what we realized was that there were a lot of people with a lot of passion and a lot of 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 want and of need as well. And a lot of folks that wanted to come together and see this and learn how they can be a part of the bigger picture. 
So we have Marsha on the line from SF Cares. Oh, wonderful. What's the name of her group? Give us the... That's South Florida Cares Mentoring. They're a mentoring program for minorities in South Florida, but they're actually part of a national organization, and I'm sure that Marsha could tell us more about it. Marsha? Yes. Hi, everyone. It's Marcia. Marcia Marcia, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Please uh, tell us a little bit about your charity. Fantastic. South Florida Cares Mentoring Movement is um, it's a mentoring program that provides exposure activities. It provides mentoring, group mentoring services, and also engages youth in South Florida in the arts, in technology, in science, and um, philosophy, actually. So what we do is we're part of a national organization, which is called National Cares Mentoring Movement. And National Cares Mentoring Movement was started about seven years ago by Susan Taylor. And Susan Taylor is the editor-in-chief emeritus of Essence Magazine. And if anyone knows Essence Magazine, it's been around since the late 60s, and it's a staple in the black community. What Susan did is, after Hurricane Katrina, she noticed that um, the volunteers that were volunteering to help out the um, disenfranchised in Hurricane Katrina were white women and then white males and then black women and then black males. And in that order, we're going out to help the youth that were in um, New Orleans. So she said, something has to happen, something has to change, because why is it that black females and black males are the last to respond to their own people? So how did you get involved with South Florida Cares Mentoring? No problem. So Susan actually reached out to South Florida, and she had a couple contacts down here. She reached out to an individual named herself who's very involved in the philanthropic side of Miami. Um, and Tony gathered a few of her cohorts together, um, and I was one of them, along with our executive director, Tracy Robertson Carter. And um, when she gathered us all in the meeting room, she said, listen, we have to do something. We have to make a difference. We have to make a change in the South Florida community. She gathered us at two schools that are located in Broward County. One is Women Rogers School. The other is Seagull Alternative School. These two schools are primarily African-American Latino American, and these students are returning from juvenile detention centers, and they are young, unwed mothers. So what's happening there? There is a crisis that's occurring at these schools. They needed mentoring. They needed people in their lives that care about them, that show them opportunity, and show them, you know, what's beyond their limits and their horizons. And so she gathered a group of people and said, let's do something. Let's do South Florida Cares Mentoring so we can impact positive change within that community. Great. So what did you, what is your Philanthro story? Tell us a little bit about your involvement with PhilanthroFest. Yes, we love PhilanthroFest. We really do. We were involved for the first year last year. And um, it was very exciting because it's just great to see all the nonprofits that do show up and have the passion and want to change this community. And when we went there, we are trying to really collect and get mentors into our database so we can actually go out and, you know, really create a mentor database that really cares about our our mentors in the community. So what we did is we had about 40 mentors before we went to PhilanthroFest, and 40 mentors for over 200 students that we needed to serve. That wasn't good enough. When we went and actually actually when we left PhilanthroFest, we had over 350 mentors that signed up because they were at PhilanthroFest. So we had 
um, politicians, we had doctors, we had lawyers, we had tech people, we had all kinds of just passionate individuals who just wanted to be involved with Self-Learning Cares Mentoring. And because of Philanthropist, we were able to increase our numbers from 40 mentors to 350 mentors in one afternoon. That's incredible, Marcia. Wow. One afternoon. Yes, one afternoon. And, and now how many do you have today? So we have around 480 mentors in our database and who are very active, who are not only serving the two schools that I mentioned prior to this, but we are in 10 other schools now, and then we're in four um, different community organizations located here in Miami-Dade County. That is really, really amazing, Marcia. And can you tell us what your website and your Twitter accounts are? Sure, sure. So our website, we are on Tumblr. That's what we use for our website. So we are South Florida Cares Mentoring. South Florida Cares Mentoring. Tumblr. T U M B L R. dot com. That is our website that we utilize, and then our Twitter account is South Florida Cares Mentoring. That's fantastic, Marcia. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing with us, Marcia. Thank you. Now we've got Robert on the line. He's from Heart Festival. dot com or Heartfest. Robert? Hi, Robert. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about HeartFest, Robert. We'd love to hear it. HeartFest was the creation of our leader, Kristen Swinehart, whose father was taken from her at a young age because of heart disease. And so this uh, came about uh, with Kristen uh, mentioning it to another member in our BNI Elite Professional Group in Sunny Isles, and it just really took on from there. We all wanted to be a part of this uh, as we have been touched by uh, people in our lives that have had heart disease or people who have passed away because of heart failure. So we're trying to bring awareness to our communities to um, raise some money for these charities that are going to be able to help people. That's fantastic. Now, can you tell me, uh, what's your website and your Twitter account? Sure. It's heart-festival.com. Uh, like I don't remember the Twitter handle off the top of my head, but we do have a Facebook page as well, and you can find that at Heart Festival um, through the Facebook search page. Okay, and I see that you can find your Facebook page and your Google Plus page at heart-festival.com. That's correct. So tell us your philanthro story. Well, this is going to be taking place in um, uh, Mother's Day of this year thought it was going to be a good time where we could all get together with family and uh, share in, you know, each other's uh, experiences. And we're going to have a 5K in the morning. Uh, that's going to be the kickoff. We're going to have music that's going to be able to bring groups of people together. And uh, we're going to be having about a 1,000. We're looking to have about a 1,000 uh, race uh, participants. And then later in the day, uh, up to about 5,000 people as well take part of the rest of HeartFest, which is going to have live bands, uh, drums, as far as uh, drum circle, later into dusk. And we're just going to be able to really have the food vendors speak about the different kinds of food that are good for the the soul as well as for your heart, and uh, being able to explain a little bit more to the people that come how it is good to eat healthy. It doesn't have to cost a lot and kind of get rid of some of the things that people say from time to time, like, it's too expensive 
to eat healthy, or maybe I'll start this later. We want to just engage everybody around us and educate them. Now, tell us a little bit about your experience with PhilanthroFest. In PhilanthroFest, uh, we just ended up finding out a little bit about this through your radio program. And uh, being a part of uh, philanthropy is uh, a passion What you know, as a business professional, we need to keep us going. And uh, being able to be a part of this great civic organization is going to be able to give awareness to people like us that just really need to get out there and, and spread a good message. Well, we appreciate you calling in and definitely keep in touch with us, connect with us through our different platforms, and definitely join us for the Digital Media Institute. I think there'll be some great opportunities for learning as well and helping you get your message across to the folks that are supporting your organization. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to take a short break right now on the Only in Miami show, and we'll be right back. We've got two more call-ins with Philanthro Stories. You can follow that on Twitter at hashtag Philanthro Story. This is the Only in Miami show. The Only in Miami show is brought to you by Morningside Mortgage. For more information, check them out online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're here with Estrella Sibila from PhilanthroFest, and we're taking your calls, 305-541-2350. Again, 305-541-2350. We're here with Naomi. Naomi's on the line. Hey, Naomi, please tell us the name of your charity. All right. I'm currently working with MCCJ, which was first known as the Miami Coalition of Christians and Jews. But since 2011, they've been known as MCCJ. NCCJ. Yes. MCCJ. Yes, MCCJ. M as in Mary. Yes. So what is your website? All right. The website is miamiccj.org. MiamiCCJ.org. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the Miami uh, Miami Coalition of Christians and Jews. All right. So MCCJ's mission is to advance understanding and respect among all cultures, religions, and races. Uh, a lot of programs that they have work with high school youth. They go in and they have sessions on diversity and acceptance of of anyone and everyone, despite their race, ethnicity, gender, age. And um, I've had a, an opportunity to actually participate in some of those programs. Even though I'm not a full-time staff, I'm actually interning with them for my graduate studies. So uh, tell me a little bit about MCCJ's yeah. involvement with PhilanthroFest and your experiences with PhilanthroFest. Well, I have personally been involved with PhilanthroFest. Um, on the back end with planning before. Um, however, I don't believe MCCJ has ever participated. I will definitely encourage them to check it out. 
um, because I know that Philanthropist is a really incredible opportunity for nonprofits to get the word out about what they're doing. Naomi's actually one of our founding group members as well, and she was our head of our nonprofit's communications last year and did a stellar job and She's over in graduate school now, so she has less time for us, but more time for the community. And we're really proud of everything that she's doing and really excited for her involvement with MCCJ. They're actually an organization that I personally support with their Metro Town project and making sure that we have opportunities for diversity in the schools and in the programming. So tell me a little bit about your philanthropist story personally, Naomi. Okay, well, um, right now, because I am working with MCCJ, um, I feel like their story will be about them. They have helped bring an incredible exhibit to the Frost Science Museum called Race, Are We So Different? And they have a lot of programs that are related to that exhibit right now, which includes a film series. And one of my roles with the organization is to help get the word out about the film series. So I wanted to share what's going on with that um, uh, through... January of this year till May of this year, uh, this great exhibit is at the museum, and it's been traveling for a few years, and it finally came to the Miami community, and uh, the purpose behind it is to help visitors understand what race is and what it isn't, and so there have been several films um, that will be screened at the museum in the coming months. One of them takes place on March 5th. And it's in collaboration with History of Miami. It's called Ali, Made in Miami. And there are other films coming up. One is called Dark Girls. One is uh, Parallel Lives. And the last one will take place in May called The Last Survivor. So in addition to having a chance to see a great film, and there's always discussion afterwards, people uh, have some time to go into the exhibit. And it's it doesn't cost a lot, and it's just a great time to hang out in the evening with your friends and learn and and have some great discussions. Well, thank you very much for calling into the show tonight, Naomi. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. Thank you, great. Naomi. Uh, I think we've got Lance on the phone. Lance, are you here? Vance. Hey, Grant, it's Vance. How are you? Good evening. Good evening, Vance. Where are you calling from tonight? I'm actually calling from the northern part of the county, from Aventura. Fantastic. And you're part of Florida Children's Movement, correct? Yes, sir. Outstanding. So tell me, what's the website for Florida Children's Movement, and if any, a Twitter account? Absolutely. The website for the movement is www.childrensmovementflorida.org, and our uh, our Twitter uh, account is at ChildMovementFL. Okay, at ChildMovementFL. Yes, so sir. tell me a little bit about Children's Movement Florida. Absolutely. So before I tell you what we are, I'm going to tell you sort of why we are. Uh, That's great. We love to we, hear the why. We, we live in a state where more than 430,000 children don't have access to health insurance, where more than 40% of the third graders in, in public school aren't reading at even minimally proficient levels, and where one of in six children is a child with a special need, and most of those special needs are going undetected, undetected until the child is six or seven. And what the children's movement is trying to do is bring awareness to the importance of the first five years in children's lives and begin to influence public policy that will ensure greater investment in those first five years. Uh, The challenge we deal with so often is that public education reform is addressed when children are in the third grade or the sixth grade or the 11th grade. And what the movement is trying to do is ensure that children are getting to formal school, are getting to kindergarten, ready and able to learn, 
and that we're not we're not trying our best to catch kids up, but we're making sure that they're ready and able once they're once they're getting to the the doors of kindergarten. That's that's really really important, and and I'm glad that you guys are doing that. I think that the education system in the state is way too geared on trying to catch up and teach to these tests that are standardized instead of focusing on the time when children really, really learn quickly, which is when they're quite young. Absolutely. I mean, 90% of the cognitive development of a child occurs before they even enter formal school, and we as a state spend $2 billion on education remediation. So, so much of what we should be doing around education reform is just uh, investing early and upfront. So, tell me your Philanthro story, your story of being part of PhilanthroFest. Well, absolutely. Well, I would say, first of all, a wise man once told me, uh, a very wise man in Miami said, that the greatest power in our community is the power to convene. And SBA and, and what she's doing with Philanthropist is really, it, it's convening. It's bringing people together from the community, from the nonprofit community, from the business community to understand what philanthropy means in Miami-Dade. And our story and what, what Philanthropist has allowed us to do is, is share one of the campaigns that we've launched in the last couple of months, which we're calling Lessons from a Kid. I'm a father of two, and I'm always amazed by what lessons my daughters are teaching me every day, where most people would assume, you know, we're supposed to be teaching our children. And what we've been using uh, is social media for, 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 for individuals to send in their 100-character lesson about what lesson their, their child has taught them, an image that associates with that lesson. And then we're creating beautiful imagery that we're posting on Facebook and on Pinterest. And, and the longer-term goal is to create a quilt that people can come to uh, and gain inspiration, gain uh, sort of laughter, joy, uh, and gain meaning from from the lessons that folks are learning from their children. And Estea and, and Philanthropist have allowed us to not only share that campaign, but share some of the skills and tactics we've learned around social media um, through the institute. And we're well, going to have um... that's that's really cool. I got to tell our audience first. You have got to see their their Twitter account. I mean, these pictures are really neat. They're inspirational, and I'm a big fan of Pinterest. Um, I've actually got Pinterest on our www.onlyinmiamishow.com website, like all the way down the bottom right-hand side, because I really have gotten into Pinterest. And it's great to see that you guys are taking advantage of one of the most exciting newer channels in social media to uh, to broadcast your movement. Yeah, they've been really doing a fabulous job. And on Wednesday, we're going to have... John Knight from the Children's Movement of Florida that's headed some of their online uh, digital engagement efforts, not only just with the Lessons from a Kid campaign, but also with their Give Miami campaign. So he's going to be sharing some pearls of wisdom from their efforts and what they've learned along the way with our audience over at the Digital Media Institute as well. So we thank you, Vance, and the, the Children's Movement of South Florida for being involved and really helping get more people involved with early education and also getting onto the digital media uh, sort of bandwagon and really showing folks how it could really benefit your organization and your cause. Well, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity. Thank you very much for calling tonight, Vance. And let me just tell the audience, you, I'm, this is Grant. You can call, uh, find me on Twitter, at Grant Stern. And I would encourage that because I'm posting some of these incredible pictures, and I'm about to share the Children's Movement's uh, uh, Pinterest account. And if you're not on Pinterest, this would be a great time to start. It's a fantastic little service that allows you to share photographs. It's really a photo sharing service. Not so different than Instagram, but organized very differently. So let's move along. I think we have Lori on the line. Is that correct? 
Yes, I'm here. Good evening. Good evening, Lori. Uh, what charity are you calling from, and where are you calling from? I am calling uh, from Miami, and um, I am calling on behalf of Mujer, which is a nonprofit organization located in Southern Dade County in Homestead. Alrighty, and what does Mujer do in Homestead? Mujer is a nonprofit organization that operates one of only two certified rape crisis centers in Miami-Dade County, and we provide comprehensive social service assistance to victims of domestic violence and sexual assault um, in a one-stop setting. We provide services to women, to men, to children, um, and have been providing services uh, since the 90s. So tell me a little bit about your involvement with PhilanthroFest and your Philanthro story. All right. We um, at Mujer participated in PhilanthroFest last year for the first time. Um, we were definitely very, very excited in uh, getting involved um, and being able to uh, really just uh, meet and, and work with other nonprofits and um, look at the potential for uh, partnerships in the future um, to be able just to talk with them to get to know uh, what type of projects they're working on and what it is that they're doing in our community and also uh, let them know about our current projects and our interests. Um, what was uh, just really interesting about our experience and what I'm just very interested in sharing with you all um, is basically that we understood the forum of Philanthropist to be one where we could connect with nonprofits, um, also with potential donors, um, and work on that end of, of the, I guess, nonprofit realm. But what was very, very um, interesting to us was the fact that there were so many people in the community who came up to our table and to our booth um, and disclosed to us that they had experienced domestic violence or sexual violence um, right there in that forum in, in just the middle of, of this festival. Um, and it really demonstrates the point to, to us that um, every survivor needs a voice. Um, and we want to continue to be a resource in our community for survivors to have a voice. Um, and it was important to many people to be able to uh, come to us right then and there and tell us a little bit about their story, where we were able to offer resources to them, to provide them with information, to provide them with referrals to other nonprofits um, just outside of what we um, had originally expected we would encounter at, at, this, just, um, at this amazing event. Um, and that was really, really the most impressive part uh, for us was just that it did offer such an amazing uh, space for, for survivors to come and, and speak with us. That's fantastic. So I think that goes along with what Vance said about the power to convene, that Absolutely. you guys actually found other people who really identified with your organization because they'd been through the kind of experience that you're looking to counsel. Absolutely. This this is an issue that, that certainly affects everyone, either directly or indirectly. Um, and it's an issue um, that, that I don't think we can take um, too seriously, because without your safety and your health, you really have nothing. 
And we certainly recognize that at Mujer, and we strive to provide the highest quality of services um, in the most expeditious manner and the most comprehensive way to every member of our community who is in need of services. And we are very, very grateful to Philanthropists for allowing us another forum to be available to members of our community. Thank you so much for calling in, Lori. And I'm told that your website is www.mujerfla.org, right? That's correct. And it stands for, Mujer is actually an acronym for Men and Women United in Justice, Education, and Reform. This is the Only in Miami show. I'm your host, Grant Stern. I understand we have Michelle from Social Swag on the phone. Hi, Grant. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for calling into the show tonight. Thank you for allowing me to be on it. How are you? Hello, Michelle. I'm doing Hi, Aparita. Tell me a little bit about your charity. Um, well, I don't have a charity per se. I'm a for-profit that helps nonprofits um, with marketing and advertising. But I'm calling now to kind of share about the Social Good Summit, which is going to be the 16th and the 17th at the Lightbox in Wynwood. And um, the reason that we even exist now for our second year is because of Philanthropist and because of me Googling philanthropy in Southern Florida and finding the website and tweeting at all of the people that are on the board. (laughs) Wow. Well, we do love to connect people. And that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on is being a sort of platform for people to connect, not just with one another, but with organizations. And this was just another great example of how we're building community and building community by allowing folks to reach out to PhilanthroFest and getting them in touch with other people that share their passions and values. And Michelle's doing such a fabulous job in the community and with this Social Good Summit. And that's going to be in the fall, right, in September? Yeah, it's going to be September 16th and 17th. And right now we're in talks with the mayor's office and he might potentially come speak at the summit, which is big, big news. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. We we really have a, a great sort of support from our government officials here with Philanthropist in particular. We've had the support of Mayor Regalado since the start, also from Mayor Jimenez and Mayor Gilbert over in Miami Gardens. So when, you know, it's been a great experience being able to work with our elected officials and also some of our state and state representatives. So I definitely urge you to, as you continue to build the Social Good Summit, you know, we're definitely on board with PhilanthroFest, any way that we could help you all out. Um, we're definitely excited to get more people involved in the social movement for social good. So one reason why I kind of wanted to call in tonight, aside from supporting what both of you do, and you guys are both so awesome, and you're my heroes. Oh, thank um, you. Don't, don't tell us that on <laughs> the, the second, air. Come on. This... <laughs> you're going to make us blush, and everybody's going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other reason why I wanted to call in tonight is because... Um, I believe that social good only exists because of community and and in the midst of community. Social good can't exist with a whole bunch of people make the, making hierarchy decisions. And I think the one thing that, Estria, that you've done that's just so effective is that you've made Philanthropist into an all-year-long community engagement project. And so on the lines and, and, and in the shadow of, of greats such as yourself, um, I would really love anyone that's interested in becoming a part of this year's summit if they want to um, give some advice on things that we need to talk about in Miami or things that like need to be highlighted or potentially are interested in coming and talking about what they want to talk about for maybe a couple minutes. Like I really want the summit this year to have a platform that's very open to the community to share and to be a part of. So um, that's part of the reason why I'm also calling. 
Well, well uh, you know, I think it's very important to have open discussion and, and to flatten out some of the hierarchies uh, that exist out there. Um, it's very difficult for people to achieve the things they're looking for in a hierarchy. Typically in business, um, companies start out entrepreneurial, and it's, it's as I like to call it, it's the, uh, the, the commando phase. It's right. like there's people that are like ultra-talented, ultra-skilled, ultra-smart. But once they're done breaking ground, storming the beach, they're done. They kind of want to move on and do something else exciting. And, and then you have the second wave of business, which is hierarchical. It's very, uh, you know, you have somebody at the top, somebody at the bottom. It's like the shock troops. Uh, they go out there and they occupy everything. They roll in. <laughs> That's business. I'm saying in business. Um, but what it, what it means is it's like you start off and everybody is on the same footing. And then all of a sudden, like once you have an organization, everything gets very hierarchical. And one of the most important things about Philanthrofest to me is that it's not that way. Anybody can contribute. Uh, it's, it's a very much an open sourced, crowdsourced model of creating an event that brings people together. And that's why it brings people together. Because right. everybody is allowed to contribute. Everybody is invited to contribute. And there's not this tremendous administrative burden of having a very hierarchical organization that's sucking up a lot of the donated money and time. It's not like donating to the Red Cross where you know that, you know, 20 or 30 percent of what you spend or 40 percent is administrative costs. There's huge administrative costs for these other charities, whereas Philanthrofest Everything you donate basically is on the page, so to speak. Am I right? I mean, you guys are not like mostly soliciting. You guys are really, really putting everything out there for the community and making sure that everybody who's involved has the chance to contribute. Yeah, really what the magic formula here is really creating collaboration so that everybody has an opportunity to pitch in. Everybody has an opportunity to take the stage and really share what it is that they're doing and having folks that could come on board and contribute in different ways and really share their talent. There's so many folks within the community that are, are willing to give either time, talent, or treasure, and we're really just leveraging those opportunities to build great collaborations for our Miami. And, you know, Philanthrofest is welcome to everybody's participation, and if you're interested in joining the cause and being a volunteer, interning with us, sponsoring us, all of that information is available online over on our website. And part of the really exciting part is sort of meeting all of these other people that are like-minded as well that want to be part of something greater. You've been listening to the Only in Miami show, and I hope you find us online at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. Thanks for joining us, Only in Miami.